1: greenie with mike greenberg the podcast
2: back and better than ever greenie presented by progressive insurance as we head towards week three of the nfl season there are happy teams and unhappy teams there are happy fans and unhappy fans but the one thing that they can unanimously agree upon in 31 other places is at least they're not the bears here we go
1: only one place to start. I felt like I wasn't necessarily playing my game. I felt like I was kind of robotic and not playing like myself. I wanted to be honest. I wanted to be forthright with what he's saying. And then, can we work through this together to get him to play free and to have him have that flow?
0: In the end, unacceptable play from the quarterback.
2: What a complete mess they have going on in Chicago. That's the one place to start on this day, and I am delighted. To have my buddies Harry Douglas and Damian Woody good enough to hang around after we wrap up, get up. Let me just quickly check in on D Wood. We just finished the helmet smashing segment on television, and D Wood sustained an injury. How would you describe the injury to the radio audience?
1: Oh, it's minor. It's minor. If we were on the injury report, you call me limited, but
3: I'm still practicing. I'm still. I'm still good to go. He's got a deep cut on that finger. What do you think of that, Harry? Well, Bill Belichick didn't like that. He smashed the Patriots helmet.
2: That's right. The former pass. (laughs) you're gonna hear from teddy on that one too (laughs) tom brady is gonna call you you're gonna have all kinds of stuff all right let's go to chicago here and i'll play all the sound a little bit later yesterday was one of those weird days and we have those days not always in sports we have those days in the news sometimes where every time you check your phone you there's another alert of something crazy that has happened so on one day in chicago yesterday you had the quarterback Seemed to throw his coaching staff under the bus. Then minutes later, the defensive coordinator seems to have resigned. Minutes after that, there's all kinds of crazy stories, most of them unconfirmed. I won't dive into any of it here about the reasons why there are issues for that defensive coordinator. I, I don't know what the truth of any of that is. Then you get the coach come out and talk about the quarterback then you get the quarterback reassemble the media around him in the locker room and try and explain away a way that he didn't really mean what he said about the coaches in the first place. And, oh, by the way, they're playing Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes this weekend. So I'm not sure how much worse things could possibly be than they are. And D-Wood, you played on a lot of different places. You played on some really good, well-run organizations, namely in New England. So as you sort of sit and watch this, like, how would you describe what you see going on in and around that team's locker room right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, you see the quarterback is clearly frustrated. He's clearly frustrated, you know, by his production and, and um, you know, the way the coaching staff is, is putting him in, in positions to basically not succeed. I mean, that's been the overall thing that I've been watching with Justin Fields is like, where are the design runs and all those type of things? But more importantly, when you talk about the situation that happened yesterday – Harry, and you can speak to this as well. No, number one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to air your dirty laundry. You don't want to put things out there that's going to become a media a firestorm, which it is right now uh, in the national media where it's surrounding Chicago Bears. They're, this is a bad football team. Defensively, they can't stop a nosebleed. Offensively, the quarterback seems to have regressed from last year when we were talking about this guy was going was primed to kind of take that next step in his third year, second year, and and Luke gets his offense. So. There's a lot of things going on with the Chicago Bears right now. And sometimes, Harriet, sometimes in these situations, I've been on, been in situations like this too, where you have a lot of stuff going on and it galvanizes your team. Yep. Like guys really rally, come together and go out there and try to play good football. The problem is you're facing Kansas City at home, <laughs> in Arrowhead Stadium. That is going to be a tall, tall order for the Chicago Bears this week.
3: I'll say, when you look at a guy like Justin Fields, no coach whenever you go out on on the football field, do you want your players to feel like they're being robotic and they're thinking more so than they are reacting and playing instinctively and, you know, being able to utilize their skill set to the best of their abilities. But that's clearly, when you're watching the film, you understand that's what's happening to Justin Fields. So I go back to the mindset of, within you've you had a ton of coaches in your NFL career, in your career, period. I think being able to relate to your players is a big part of football or any sport. Because in my mind, if Luke Getzey and Justin Fields is on the same page, they will be doing things more so towards Justin Fields and his skill set. He has five design runs right now in the first two games. And we're talking about a guy that eclipsed 1,000 yards from a rushing standpoint in 2022. And I go back to all the way when the Bears hired Matt Ibraflus as their head coach. Right. And and I hate to take it here, but I gotta keep things real, Woody. When when I look at other coaches that have been hired other places, and you look at the quarterbacks that were set in stone before those coaches got there, you look at Tua Tonga in Miami, you have Mike McDaniel, and you have a guy that has uh went out of his way to be able to be on the same page as Tua. So much to where they're thinking alike and they're speaking the same language. You look at Brian Dable and what he was able to provide and before Daniel Jones a season ago in the New York Giants. What did they do? They go and make the playoffs. You look at Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson, and we were questioning a lot of things about Trevor Lawrence. And this was the number one draft pick overall. I covered him in college and knew he was that dude. But playing for Urban Meyer, bad coacher, bad coach, it things looked different. And when Doug Peterson got there his play started to elevate. Now you look at Arthur Smith, a brilliant head coach, that's an offensive mind and calls the plays for his team, and what he's able to do and how he's able to complement Desmond Ritter, a young quarterback. When I look at the Chicago Bears, they decided to go defensively with their head coach. And now we're having this friction of uh, is this offense good enough? Is Justin Fields good enough? When I thought taking this job or when this job was up, you knew Justin Fields was the face of your franchise. So why not go with an offensive minded type guy? Is that is that the
2: primary issue here is the coaching whether it is because the head coach is defensive minded and thus is putting some kind of handcuffs on the offensive play caller or whether it is because the offensive play caller everyone kimberly martin telling us today and others that i've heard from suggest that the relationship between justin fields and his offensive coordinator luke etsy is a very good one that's off the field clearly on the field it's not working the only thing that it does not take a genius to see is that this is a bears team that from last year till this should have gotten much better. Now, that's not to say that you're supposed to go from being the worst team in the league to winning the division. Some people thought they would take a jump that big. Fine. Let's say that was greatly over, uh, overstated. But what is clear is that when you add the pieces they added, namely DJ Moore, and you try and do something on the offensive line, it couldn't possibly get worse. And you make some of the other additions that they made. And at, at minimum, just having fields in the system for a second season. It has to get at least a little better. And instead, it feels like it has regressed significantly. And to me, that is more than anything else on the coaching. Yeah,
1: listen, ultimately, a coach's job is to put his players in the best uh, best situation. It's not hard, Woody. You know, that's (laughs) that's the whole thing. And listen, I'm not trying to absolve Justin Fields here because he hasn't been playing well at all. But again... Last year, when we, last year, Justin Field made, really turned around was that Monday night game against New England. And that's when they, first, that's when they came out and started doing a bunch of design runs. And that's when he, that's when the second half of his season really took off. And you're just thinking, okay, where's the carryover from that? Where where are you as an offensive offensive staff, offensive coordinator, you know, now building upon the things that you did so successfully in the second half of the season last year? There is none of that going on. All I see is a guy out there in Justin Field that looks totally confused, that looks, you know, looks paralyzed on the field, and something has to change. Something has to change. We're listen. This is just week three. Week three, we still got, you know, three mm-hmm. months plus of the season left to go. And, Justin, and we're at, like, DEFCON 1 as it relates to Justin Fields and company.
2: So, with D. Wood and Harry Douglas, good enough to hang around here. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. It can go one of two different ways there. As you pointed out, maybe it galvanizes them. Maybe it brings them together. All this stuff happening on the outside, you know, us against the world is kind of a nice mentality sometimes to take in and and maybe they go out there and play a really good game. They don't have to win necessarily. No one expects them to beat Kansas City under the best of circumstances. Um, But you'll know it if you see it. You'll know if it looks better or could it completely splinter um, and if that's the case, then who knows what direction it's going in. Quickly, uh, the weekend starts tonight with the Giants at the 49ers. The Giants are a 10.5-point underdog. Harry, you don't strike me as a person who is a bets a lot. Uh, most players don't. How many points would I have to offer you for you to take the bear, the, the Giants tonight. If if I just said to you right now, 49ers minus 10 and a half, which way would you go?
3: You would have to give me 17 points. Right? That's what I was about to say.
2: I, I was about to say, I don't think two touchdowns is enough. I, I can't, and, and of this course. Because at the
3: same time, there's still the National Football League. It, but
2: something seems this <laughs> obvious. It can never happen. But how in the world do the Giants play with them at all tonight?
3: Well, I, I would say this. When you look at a defense that's uh, as aggressive as the San Francisco 49ers, you have to go a lot of no huddle, right? A lot of tempo. That's some of the things that I used to do uh, when I was in the offense in Atlanta. When we played a team that, okay, they got some pass rushers. These guys are really flying around. You have to go tempo and keep them off guard and don't allow them to substitute and get those big guys off of the football field. Also, when when you're not going to have Saquon Barkley, you're going to have to use your screen game to your running backs, also to your wide receivers. you got to allow that screen game to be an extension of the run game. And Daniel Jones is going to have to rush the football. He can't sit back there and just say, We're going to play pocket football when you see the way Evan Neal has not developed yet being a former first round draft pick. If I'm the San Francisco 49ers, I'm lining Nick Bosa up over Evan Neal every single play. Except that the left tackle isn't playing for the Giants tonight. <laughs> right? So you
2: could line him up over the backup on yep. the left side, too. There's nowhere. Daniel Jones. Look, D. Wood. Vegas doesn't lose that big, right? It seems to me so obvious when anything seems this obvious, it can't go that way. Otherwise, they would have to start tearing down some of those huge buildings in Las Vegas. But if anything has ever screamed yeah. thorough blowout, I mean, obliteration, that's what this game feels like.
1: Yeah, it, it, is, um, it is all set up bad for the Giants. Like Like, short week, yep. on the road. Your, be, your best player, you know, like two of, <laughs> two of your top top players are out on offense and their left guard is out as well. Like, man, this, this is going, you, you, you're going into, uh, you're going to like a hornet's nest out there <laughs> in San Francisco on, on Thursday night.
2: Let me get one more quickly from you, D. Wood. You played for Bill Belichick. I feel like the game Sunday here at MetLife Stadium between the Patriots and Jets is an incredibly important one for both teams. I don't need to explain exactly why, but can you describe how much you think Belichick wants this? In his heart of hearts, he may know he doesn't have a championship team. The thing that might make him happiest is burying the Jets. And the way to do that is to humiliate Zach Wilson, to take him so far out of it psychologically that it destroys him and thus them for the rest of the year.
1: It brings Coach Belichick so much joy when he's able to humiliate the Jets. He hates the he Jets. He hates the Jets. He really does. He hates the Jets organization. Listen, anytime you go into, you know, go into this week and you're like, yeah, it's Jets week, you know it's like a, a totally different deal. That's what he does every time the New England Patriots play the, the New York Jets. He always said,
2: it's Jets week this week because it means that much more to him. And so, a quick thought on that one, Harry. Is Zach Wilson going out there against Belichick, who has been known to just destroy young, inexperienced <laughs> quarterbacks? Uh, what? Give me the game plan, Coach. I mean, what, what do the Jets do against him? What do they do with Zach?
3: Yeah, I said last week on Freddie and Harry. By the way, everyone listening, three p.m. 3- to seven p.m. Monday through Friday on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel eighty. Thank you, Greeny, well done, giving me that platform. Why are you
2: saying thank you to Greeny? I didn't say a word. You just promoted it yourself.
0: I have it written down
3: here, you
2: did it yourself. Thank you, Harry.
3: But, Meantime, what are we doing? But I think for, for the Jets, uh, number one, they're going to have to be able to run the football effectively. You're going to have to figure out and see some of the things that Miami had success with last week against this New England Patriots defense. Your offensive line better be ready to block a defensive line of the New England Patriots, or it's going to be a long day. Uh, I think defensively, when you look at the Jets, they're going to have to be dominant. Right, they're gonna have to be able to provide, I think, Zach Wilson with that confidence and not give up those points and make him be in the light of, now I gotta play catch up. Now I got to go out there and do my thing. That's the last thing you want if you're the Jets organization. Well, I think you got to like do like this
1: Jets defense and special team give Zach Wilson and the offense shorter fields, like do do those type of things. If you're a championship caliber defense like the Jets, you know talk about they are. Those are the type of things you got to do to help your offense out.
2: All right, again, uh, don't forget you can watch this program on the ESPN app. Click on Watch, look for hashtag Greeny, and enjoy any time you want. Got to let Harry get ready for his show today. D Wood, got to let you get some stitches on that finger. Do you think we need? stitches is it that deep no no i think uh i think we'll we'll, we'll make it through man throw a little bandaid on <laughs> i think we'll be all right sterilize the wound. see yeah. how we do back with my takes in just a moment this is greenie on espn radio passion drive and patience the formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more eligible items only exclusions apply for the ones who get it done Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer call
4: clickgranger.com or just stop by this show is sponsored by better help we all carry around different stressors i do you do we all do
1: Greenie, the podcast.
2: Yes, it is the twenty first of September. Back and better than ever. Greenie, presented by Progressive Insurance. Assembled members of the hashtag crew assembled around us here. The scoop. All right, the scoop is the Bears are a dumpster fire. I mean, I've never seen anything quite this bad, or I shouldn't say never, but it's been quite some time. We will get our buddy Mark Silverman in an hour from now from ESPN one thousand in Chicago. Has been hosting talk shows. Therefore, basically, since I was there in the late 90s and before that, he covered the Bears on a daily basis, as I did, too. So he knows the organization inside and out, and we'll try and dive into what's going on there. And what I want to start this conversation about is this. The unwritten rule in this case, I don't even think it's unwritten, that the quarterback must always take all of the blame unto himself and deflect all of the praise, So the phrase that we hear all the time, Mike Tannenbaum says it, I think it came from Bill Parcells. Most things that Tannenbaum believes about football came from Parcells. And Parcells is one of the great, not just great coaches, but really one of the the great philosophers, if you will, of football history. And the first rule, I guess, of being a quarterback is when things go well, it's always we. And when things go badly, it's always I. I. And intellectually, I understand that. But Hembo, here's the problem with that. It's not everyone whose career is being destroyed. It's not everyone who has spent their entire lives trying to build to this opportunity to become a pro football player and to become a star quarterback with all of the the, the tools to possibly do it and is seeing that disintegrate right before their eyes. Coaches get multiple chances. It works here. It doesn't work there. You get another job. Those coaches are going to be in the NFL until they're in their 60s, if they want to be. Justin Fields gets one shot at this, just like Mitch Trubisky did, just like Sam Darnold did. Well, Darnold maybe has gotten a few extra lives. But generally speaking, as a football player, you get one shot. And if it doesn't work, you get labeled a bust. And you live with that for the rest of your life the disappointment of it in yourself, the way people view you, the way people talk about you. And so while I understand why what Justin Fields said yesterday is verboten, you're not supposed to say it. Now, I don't want to go through all the sound bites here because I want to make sure we have the time to talk about it. But to be clear, for those of you who didn't hear it, they asked him, "Why does everyone seem to, why does everything seem to be in your head so much? And his initial answer was, maybe it's the coaching. And he kind of explained it away, and I don't think he meant it the way it came out, but whatever, he said it. And then later he had to assemble the media around him in the locker room to explain, that's not what I meant. But the truth is, it is what he meant. Because the truth is, that is what's happening. He is being completely mishandled. Now, that does not mean that these coaches are incompetent. They know enough about football to know what Justin Fields' strengths are and what his weaknesses are. So for the life of me, I can't understand why they are coaching away from his strengths and toward his weaknesses. So Hembo, I'm going to, I know you have been on here saying for a while, and I think more and more people are coming to your side of it, saying this is more about fields than it is about other things. And to me, that only adds to the frustration. Because if you're just in fields, you know this is going badly, You know what he does well. He knows what he does well. Why the hell aren't they letting me do it? Now I'm in my own head like crazy, standing out on a field for five seconds with open receivers, and I just don't get rid of the football. Because in football, you're a quarterback. These things have to happen. Boom, 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 done. That's how long a play lasts. That's how long you have to make all these decisions. And whether the play works or it doesn't, If you're not ready to make that decision that quickly because things are going through your head far too fast, you have no chance. So, Hembo, I'll give you the floor, but I feel for Justin Fields. I really do. I've never met him in my life, but everything I can sense about him tells me he's a great kid whose head is in the right place on all kinds of things and deserves better no matter how great, no matter what his weaknesses are. Deserves better than
0: what he's getting. That's my opinion. What's yours? I share that opinion. the The answer to the question, "Whose fault is it, Justin Fields or the coaching staff?" is yes. Like we don't have to create a false binary. Like everyone is doing their job badly. No one is doing their job well. Justin Fields has not processed the NFL game nearly as well as we hoped or expected. At the same time, his coaches are giving him no chance to succeed. Th- that I think is clear and obvious. Now, if you have a quarterback with a certain skill set, good coaching maximizes what that player can do. It doesn't take a rocket surgeon to realize that the Bears are doing the exact opposite. Truly, the exact opposite. Justin Fields is a world-class athlete. He weighs 230 pounds. He runs 4-4. He led the NFL in rushing average last season. I'll say that again. Justin Fields, last year, averaged more yards per carry than any player in the NFL that played any position. From week six on, his last 10 games, he ranked third in the whole sport in rushing. That is what he is best at. So I can't, for the life of me, understand why that's not a central focus of the offense.
2: Two things. One, did you purposely say rocket surgeon because you think it's funny? No. It's rocket scientist or brain surgeon. Mm. You said rocket surgeon. Well, no, that was a mistake. Okay. Uh, was it really a mistake or did you? Because I've heard other people make that joke. I'm blaming the coaching. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. I blame them too. Look, here's the thing he's not supposed to blame the coaches. But at some point, you got, he's got to defend himself. He's like, guys, I'm not this bad. I may not be Joe Montana, but I'm not this bad. Let's talk about the organization here for a minute, can we? The coach was John Fox. And they drafted Mitch Trubisky ahead of Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Had him for a year. Decided they'd had enough of John Fox, so they brought in an offensive genius, Matt Nagy, who took one look at Mitchell Trubisky and said, don't want him. Get me Nick Foles. Words, by the way, never spoken by anyone who knew what they were talking about, but that's neither here nor there. Trubisky went straight down. One year, he looked great. They win the division. He's playing great. They get the stoink on a field goal, or they win a a playoff game. Instead, straight down, because that's not what the coach wants. So now they've given up on Trubisky. They're going to move forward. They're going to trade up in the draft, make a huge, bold move to trade up in the draft to take another quarterback. And what do they do? They let a lame duck GM make that decision and keep a lame duck coach to coach him. So the extraordinarily predictable result takes place. The coach gets fired, the general manager gets fired, and you bring in new people who are not tied to Justin Fields, who did not decide he was the future of the organization, who do not have that connection to him, and who on some level, in the deep in the recesses of their mind, want their own guy in there anyway. That is organizational incompetence. It's an organizational failure. In that very same city of Chicago, Illinois, my adopted second home, I covered the Chicago Bulls. And Jerry Krause famously said, players don't win championships, organizations do. And he was soundly criticized for saying that because everyone misunderstood it. Everyone thought he was trying to deflect the attention and the praise from Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and bring the, 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 the praise onto himself. But that's not what he was saying. What he was saying is that in order for this stuff to work, it starts at the top. It all starts at the top. And that's the truth in sports. When you see a team that stinks all the time, when you see a team that never gets it right at quarterback, when you see a team that is shuffling through coach after coach, after general manager, after general manager, after quarterback, after quarterback, overwhelmingly the three most important positions on a football organization, and they, none of them ever work, then the blame has to go above them. It has to go to the people making the decisions because they're the only ones who stay there. So that's what's happening in Chicago. You destroyed one quarter. I have no idea how good Mitch Trubisky could have been. But if Mitch Trubisky had wound up in Kansas City with Andy Reid and all that other stuff, he would have been in a hell of a lot better shape than he is now. And the same can be said of Justin Fields. So, again, do I think Justin Fields is ever going to be a great player? It's starting to look like no. I'm not sure he's ever going to get another chance. This is going that badly. Oh, by the way, their defensive coordinator just resigned in the middle of the day. The second week of the season. When the hell does that happen? Have we ever heard of that happening before? It's ridiculous what's going on in that organization, and I actually don't know that it is recoverable. If they get obliterated this weekend, and I think they're going to, when you're playing Kansas City under the best of circumstances, at Kansas City is a loss no matter what. They lose this game 40 to 3? I shudder to think what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, since the day they drafted Mitchell Trubisky, they've had four offensive coordinators, three head coaches, and two general managers. I like the way that you described it. Say that again.
2: Th- that was 2017. 2017. So 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. So five years have gone by. Mm hmm. So since that time, they've had, in those five years, how many coaches? Four offensive coordinators. Four offensive coordinators.
0: Three head coaches. Three
2: head coaches.
0: And two GMs.
2: Two GMs in five years. That's right. So now it's Justin Fields' fault, right? Now, Justin can't do it. So I know what's happening. I I hear it. Believe me, I see all the stuff you're tweeting at me. I'm sitting right here. Green is defending Justin Fields. He's got a receiver open five seconds. He doesn't throw it. You've coached it out of him. He's, do you play golf? I ask you if you're saying that, do you play golf? If you're standing over a golf ball and you're thinking five things, you have almost no chance of hitting that ball where you want it to go. If you're standing over a golf ball and you're thinking one thing, you have maximized your chance of doing so. So is it Justin Fields' fault that there's a receiver downfield and he can't figure out that he needs to throw it in 4.9 seconds? Sure, a little. But it's not only his fault. Don't just show me that tape and tell me well, that's proof that Justin Fields doesn't know what he's doing. If so, that's proof you don't know what you're talking about. This is paralysis by analysis. They are ruining that kid. And I feel sorry for him.
0: Yeah, this is the same kid that threw for 385 yards and six touchdowns with broken ribs against Clemson in the national semifinal. Right. Not that long ago. I like the way that you describe the GM, the coach, and the quarterback as sort of like your organizational pillars or organizational poles. There is no good organization in football for which those three people don't have a shared vision. That doesn't necessarily mean they all need to have chosen each other or been a part of the same regime. But when you describe the way that the Bears have done this since 2017 – None of those people have ever been on the same page with each other. Right. So no matter how good they might be independently, they couldn't possibly succeed together. Yeah. Football is the
2: most dependent of all the sports. If you're a great baseball player, you can be a great baseball player because it's just you standing there at the plate by yourself or it's just you throwing a pitch. And it isn't always it isn't completely independent of what everyone else does, but it is largely so or at least partially so. If you're a great basketball player, you're going to be a great basketball player, whether you're on the right team or the wrong team. It can be maximized or minimized, but you can be great. In football, you can't even be decent if everything around you is wrong, much less bad. And that's the situation they have in Chicago. So it's a complete mess. All right, Greeny with you. If you miss any of the program, don't forget, you can always catch up with both hours of the show in the Greeny podcast. It's available every day, wherever you get your podcast. and keep that conversation going on social media. I want, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram and I'm on threads. Same address, all places at ESPN, Greeny, ESPN, Greeny with a Y. Let me hear from
0: you. I need you to listen carefully.
2: I just want you to know. All right. Something I just want you to know. Bubba and Cam. First off, how are you, gentlemen, this morning?
0: Outstanding, better than the Bears.
2: Okay, yes, doing all right. Everybody is. Uh, Bubba's delighted. He's in. He's gleeful. He's rooting for the best team in football. Cam's feeling good about himself. Still believing the Eagles are going to wind up being the best team, despite what looks to me like a very short haircut that you got under those uh, cans there, Cam. That's a yeah, short new, new haircut. For you got Sam. that's a you got shorn there, huh? Yeah. What's wrong with that? No, I don't like it. You don't uh, like it? I, I, no, oh. I, I think I, I like your hair long.
0: I don't really. Yeah, I got groomed. I, you know, I got my beard trimmed and everything. The I beard in, trim is good. Came mm. in feeling good. Thought I was looking great. Got a couple compliments on the haircut. Then go on the radio and Greeny says you look bad.
2: Uh, <laughs> it's because I say it out
0: of love. I mean, it every every person came in here and said they liked their haircut. What a way to take me down a peg. No, no.
2: I, I mean, I want you up multiple pegs. But well, anyway, now I'm down. Let's let's get to this. You guys are going to love this. Mm. Hembo came in this morning, and he was very obviously dragging. We get into my office after the get-up meeting. We're sitting in there. We're talking. And I could just tell he doesn't have his usual pep. Like, Hembo was not the most vigorous of people under any circumstances. But even by his standards, he seemed to be a little methodical. Okay. And I said, Hembo, you seem a little tired. And he said, yeah, I didn't get a lot of sleep last night. Hembo, tell them why.
0: Guys, I was woken up in the middle of the night by my wife to kill a cricket. (laughs) i kid you not what so so on some weekdays because i sleep so much earlier than she does this
3: can't be real
0: and wake up so much earlier than she does i actually sleep in the guest room sometimes so i wasn't even in our bedroom or bed together okay i'm in the guest what time are you getting into bed seven something
2: seven something because, wow. you, because you have to wake up at what time three o'clock three o'clock he, he's up at three in the morning sure because we he's, he's got get up responsibility so he's you're not even in your bedroom Mm-mm. you're asleep and so now what time does this happen in the middle of the night 9 15 9 well by mm-hmm. most people's standards not the, the middle of the, of the night, night but understood by your standards That's it right. is. i get it so what exactly happens
0: i'm jostled by my wife at 9 15 i wake up panicked because she's panicked and says paul Paul. She's calling you Paul. Paul. Yes. This is what she calls me when things are bad. When I mean, there's a cricket on the wall. She doesn't call you Hembo. She does not. She does wow. not. Wow. So she most goes, people don't even know your name is Paul. Yeah. Well, either way. Okay. Not the not the not the ethos of the story here. She goes. She goes. There's a cricket in our bedroom. I'm like wait wait. I, I mean I thought one of our kids had been abducted. She was right. she was. Petrified.
2: Yes. When you have twin one-year-olds, right. bad things
0: can happen. If you're being awakened in the middle of the night, you're thinking something really bad. It has never happened before. My wife has never woken me up in the middle of the night for any reason. Got it. So I was worried. There's a cricket on the wall. So I come slumbering out of the bedroom into our master bedroom to see a cricket the size of like a silver dollar on the wall above our television. Mm-hmm. She had already has like this, like this two-step ladder <laughs> prepared for me, a small bucket, and a piece of cardboard. So she had prepared the utensils, but she was unwilling to do it by herself. In 10 seconds, I get this cricket in the bucket, throw it outside, and immediately go back to bed. took me at least an hour to get back to sleep. So it does bring up
2: an interesting question. And and neither Bubba nor Cam are really uh, the right people to ask this to because they're not married. But when you are in a marriage, there are certain responsibilities that sometimes are delegated to each of the different people in it. What rises to the level of waking you up in the middle of the night to do it? That's the question. An intruder in the house? Check. I can see her coming mm-hmm. in and saying, Paul, we have a problem. One of the children are, are sick in a way, God, help, God, God willing, never happens to you. Are, are ill in a way that mm-hmm. seems it's of concern. I have to take one of them to the hospital in the middle of the night. We're waking up Paul. Fair excuse. Cricket in the bedroom strikes me as a very flimsy reason
0: to be waking you up. Not only that, but the vigor with which she woke me up... (laughs) is what raised my blood pressure to such an extent that I didn't fall back asleep to close to midnight. So you're saying she 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 treated this like a um, an emergency. Like a house fire.
2: What was the concern with the cricket? Was it just like, was she scared of it? Was it making noise? Like what
1: what was the reason it why- It was just it, idling above the yeah, TV. the like cricket above- the, It wasn't like it was in the bed. No.
0: It was an like, intruder in the house. Like what was so
2: upsetting about I a cricket? I don't
0: like, know. I guess she just didn't want to fall asleep in the same room as said cricket. The possibility of a cricket being watching what, her. Exactly. What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, I don't understand why this was such an emergency. No, well, because it isn't.
2: In almost no situation am I going to side with you over your wife because (laughs) I I like her way better than I like you. Who doesn't? But in this case, I really struggle to get to the bottom of this, but it does bring up one of the real great questions of marriage. What is it that rises to the level of I need you to do this?
0: We'll continue with that in a moment. (music) It's time for Sneaky Hembo. Go. On Get Up this morning, Kimberly Martin predicted Zach Wilson will throw four. Four touchdown passes against New England on Sunday. That got me thinking, Greeny. Who was the last Jets quarterback to have a four touchdown game against New England?
2: Good question. Answers next. No Googling ESPN Radio. It doesn't take a rocket surgeon Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you.
0: Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it
2: has to be. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. Greeny, the
1: podcast.
2: ESPN Radio and our production staff has been working hard. Guess what? If you watch Get Up, you know that Hembo has a daily feature called Sneaky Hembo, where we do trivia. We decided this week we're going to bring it to this radio program. We've done two days so far. Each of us, meaning Bubba and Cam and I, take our guesses, and then you tell us who's right, who's wrong. We are all one and one. We all got it wrong the first day. We all got it right yesterday. And we have an open... For Sneaky Hembo Trivia. Wow, okay, and how are your
0: trivia skills? This
1: is Sneaky Hembo Trivia.
2: Regular sneaky or extra sneaky? Sneaky Hembo, go. Go.
0: I like it. Pretty good. All right, repeat today's question. This morning on Get Up, Kimberly Martin predicted Zach Wilson would throw for four touchdowns on Sunday against New England. Let the record show she was basically kidding. She was trying to pump me up, but go ahead. Fair enough. That got me thinking. Who was the last Jets quarterback to have a four-touchdown game against the Patriots.
1: Uh, Bubba, go. Oh,
2: geez. I'm just going to – I'm going way back, and I'm going to guess Boomer Esiason. Boomer Esiason is our first guess.
0: Cam. I'm going far back, not as far back. I'm going to go with Brett Favre.
2: Okay, I thought about Favre. I have to admit, that was my first thought. That We beat New England on that Thursday night that Favre drove us down the field and won the game in a very big win, I want to say, like, you know, November of that season, the one year he was there. And I was, I was trying to rack my mind around whether or not he threw four touchdowns in that game. Th- that would be my se- – I'm going to guess he didn't. I'm going to guess that or certainly Darnold didn't, certainly Zach didn't, certainly uh, I don't think Chad did. I don't think Sanchez did. So I'm going to go to Vinny Testaverde. He had some great games during his time, and that was before New England got really good. So I'm going to go with Testaverde. So we have a guess of Boomer. We have a guess of Testaverde, and we have a guess of Brett Favre. And the answer is? The correct answer is Vinny Testaverde. Oh, Greeny got it. Greeny got it. That is what I'm talking about. (laughs) What year was it? Uh, 1998. That was a great year. That was the year we went to the... He, Vinny Testaverdi that year was spectacularly good. And then, of course, he tore the Achilles the following year in the first half of the first game, and that was the end of that. But he had a four-touchdown day against what would not have been a Bill Belichick-led Patriot team yet. That's
0: why I like the question, because no one has ever done it against Belichick.
2: No Jet quarterback has ever done it against
0: Balochet. <laughs> so just for the record. Was
2: Carroll the coach of the Patriots then? Would that have been the Pete yes, Carroll Patriots? It was 98. Oh, my yeah. goodness.
0: So uh, Boomer Esiason did do it once, Bob. Uh, he did so in 1995. Nice. Uh, and then the only other quarterback to ever do it was Joe Namath in 1975. So Favre never did it. I'll take it,
2: half credit for But that. the other two did. So that's really well done. Okay, so Greeny 2-1. and one. Wow. The other two guys 1-2. and Wow. Two. We will keep track of all of these. All right, fair enough. There's something that came up in our meeting this morning that I wanted everyone to hear. When Harry was in here a little earlier, he mentioned his radio show, Freddie and Harry, which is weekday afternoons here coast to coast on ESPN Radio. And Harry, in our pre-show meeting for Get Up today, we were talking about Dion Sanders and Dion's star power has sort of elevated to a, I mean, an almost unimaginable level, right? And so we were talking about that. And Harry, we we one of the topics surrounding Dion is could you ever see him going and coaching in the NFL? That's one of the things that people are talking about when it comes to Dion. I don't think it's the most interesting, but it is a thing. And Harry said, well, you know, on our radio show, we had Dion's biographer, Jean-Jacques Taylor on, and he said very, very strongly, he knows the answer to that question. And I said, he did? Why did this not reach me? So I immediately alerted the staff And a well-done job here by Bubba and Cam. We have the soundbite. So this is Jean-Jacques Taylor, who's a very well-known NFL writer, who wrote Dion's biography. And apparently for this book, he got extraordinary access. And he was asked on Freddie and Harry here on ESPN Radio, will Dion ever coach in the NFL? And this is what he said.
3: Man, y'all mark this, okay? Never, ever, never, ever, never in this lifetime or the next or the one after that. He'll never, coach. He'll never coach in the NFL,
2: man. Now, that's a pretty definitive—well, I mean, it goes without saying, that's a pretty definitive answer. Um, that's about as—and that's a person who knows him intimately. Again, from everything I've been told, uh, Jean-Jacques Taylor was given extraordinary access to Dion and his program, um, and so he's saying never, ever, ever. So the questions will be as follows. Does Dion want to stay in Colorado? Does he want to entertain offers from other schools? Will one of the big SEC schools or someone like that come after him? You know they will, actually. So the question is, is he going to be interested in doing that? Is he interested in being a coach as a lifer? How would Dion's got to be, what, about 50 years old? Something in that, in that neighborhood? Um, Hembo will get me that in a second here. So does he, is, he, is he someone who wants to coach another 20 years? He's 56. He's 56? Oh, he's my age. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's older than I thought he was. So he's a person with so many options. Those are the questions that have to be answered. I think he could keep doing what he's do I think he could make what he's doing work anywhere. I think what he's doing, and maybe he's one of a very small handful of people who could, he could do it anywhere. So if he likes it in Boulder, Colorado, I don't think he has to go to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, or any of the more traditional powerhouse kind of places in order to be successful. So I'll be fascinated to see what Dion
0: decides to do. Me too. I think we, we touched on this yesterday, but I think NIL and the transfer portal will will flatten the earth, for, will level the playing field in some sense. And so long as Colorado can give him all the resources that he feels is necessary, I suppose he could stay there for some time, although I think it's likelier that Deion Sanders, should he want to continue to coach, wind up taking a, a huge, marquee, SEC-type job. I think that's likely. I also think that's a way better job than practically any NFL job. I, I talked to people who went to Colorado over the weekend for college game day, and they described his presence there as mayoral. Like if, I mean, you can see it on TV. He is, he is the most important person in the state of Colorado already. He's been there a month. So I think there's something to be said about that, the stability of it all, and the fact that NFL jobs are so transient— it would not surprise me at all if Deion Sanders had a long and successful college coaching career at Colorado or anywhere else he practically wanted to yeah, go. Yeah, it,
2: it's a fascinating story what he has going on there. And, and I don't – look, so many people are telling me they can't beat Oregon. They can't beat – he's got two – he's got back-to-back monster games. He's got Oregon on the road, and then he's got USC at home. If he wins one of those two – most people are telling me he can't win either one. Maybe he can't. Uh, they didn't think he was going to be TCU there, and he did. We'll see what happens. We're back in just a moment. You're listening to Greeny on ESPN Radio.
1: Thanks for listening to Greeny the podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio or watch the show through the watch tab on the ESPN app. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday
3: mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcasts.